Well, good morning, New City. This is uh, the first time that I can say good morning, New City, and really mean it because it is the morning time when we're recording this. We're, we're, if you haven't noticed or haven't figured it out, we are recording live right now. And so it's fun. What you're seeing is happening in the sanctuary uh, right now. In the past, we've been pre-recording our services and then uh, releasing them or streaming them live in the morning, but now we're actually streaming live. Um, and in this uh, season where so much is going on, there has, as, as we uh, met with the guys last night, we were able to talk and catch up, and as I've uh, communicated with some of you uh, prior to that time, one of the things that I've been aware of is that there are a lot of adjustments that people are making to a new reality, and because of the pandemic, uh, everything feels like it's turned on its head. And so people are having to change the way that they work and change the way that they interact with family, change uh, the structure and rhythm of your personal life. And because of all these adjustments that we're having making, we're making decisions kind of all the time on the fly. Uh, at New City, we're doing this as well. We are live streaming this morning. This was an adjustment that we have made to not being able to meet in person. And now we're trying to figure out and make a decision about when we can best gather in person for in-person worship again. Uh, doing the outdoor worship services are uh, kind of first attempt at that, but we're trying to figure out at what point in time is it safe to meet in person? What precautions can we take? When are people going to want to come back? And so in the midst of all of these adjustments and pivots, we are trying to do our best to navigate these changes, and make the best decision. And, and in the end, we are trying to discern what God's will is for us. This ultimately is God's church. We are God's people, and we're seeking to do His will. And we recognize that as we pray about this as a leadership team or as a staff, uh, as we sense God's call, and then finally start to make some decisions around this, that some people may have different opinions about what we should be doing. Maybe we should People have opinions we should have opened a long time ago, and maybe others of you, when we open, will think, oh, you're opening too soon. But in the end, we're trying to listen for God's will. This is the role the leaders of the church are in right now. And then follow through with it. Act on it. Follow it. And I know that this is sort of... Uh, symbolic or representative of what many of you are facing, what all of us are facing in all aspects of our life. Just like we're trying to decide what is best for New City and how we move forward and navigate all these adjustments we're making, you're trying to do this in your home life. You're trying to do this in your work life. You're trying to do this in your personal life. Like, which hours during the day do I work? Which hours am I, because I'm home all day, when do I work? When do I do chores? How do I integrate with the family? Bigger things, maybe you have to think about laying off employees. Maybe simple things like new daily rhythms. When do I exercise? When do I eat? When do I pray? How do I take a Sabbath now that everybody is home all the time? And what I have noticed, is what is typical really in life, is that we can go through this process of trying to navigate all the adjustments in our world, prayerfully discern what we believe is God's will, whether it be a simple thing like when am I going to pray during the day or when am I going to exercise or what hours am I going to work or a big thing. Discern what we think is the best way forward, but then as we make that decision, be met with resistance from those around us. Get some 
pushback from those you work with, maybe some resistance from people you live with. And oftentimes, this can cause us to feel a little unsettled. Like maybe I, I misheard God. Or maybe in my attempts to discern God's will, because I'm receiving so much pushback from the people around me, maybe I, I, it's not right, because if it were God's will, then everybody would be happy, and there would just be this sense of peace and harmony as we move into this reality, because clearly that's what God would want. That's what we tend to think, is that following God's will brings peace. And harmony. But what Jesus says so clearly in our passage today is that oftentimes discerning God's call and then acting on it and following through with it can bring not peace, but the sword. Verse 34, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you could take this verse out of context and think that maybe Jesus is advocating for violence, but he's not. He's simply naming that when we lead our lives from a place of listening, from a place of discerning the will of God and then trying to follow through on it, when we do that, we will inevitably find ourselves in conflict with those around us. Not all the time, but sometimes we will find ourselves in conflict. There will be times when the people around us don't like what we're doing as we follow God's will. I remember the first time uh, I felt this happening, the first time I experienced this tension. It wasn't a major decision. It wasn't like you know, discerning God's will is only like when you're buying a house or choosing a job or trying to figure out who to marry. It was just in the, the simple way of trying to, to be myself, live my true self, and follow God's call for my life and like being authentic to who I was. And the first time I experienced that, the first time I noticed that there is this tension was actually way back when I was in fourth grade. And I started, this is my first time I really had awareness of sort of this inner voice, and then the pressure and the tension coming from the outside. And it was right after my family had moved from Virginia Beach, Virginia to Edina, Minnesota, and I was starting a new school. And as I started this new school, I was really excited. I, I got my locker, and I was at my locker, and I discovered the person immediately to my right was also brand new to the school. And so I was coming in anxious and nervous about making new friends, and he was in the same boat. And so we immediately became friends because we were both in the same position, and I felt a lot better, and I thought, oh, I like this guy. We're both trying to fit in, but now we've, we're at least doing it together, so you don't feel quite so alone. And I felt out of place, coming from Virginia Beach to Edina, there's a lot of differences. I grew up in Virginia Beach where it was cool to be a surfer, and here everybody played hockey. I had, I had no idea what hockey even was, and I'd never ice skated before, so I felt very out of place in this new world. Happy to have this new friend. Well. A few days later, to my horror, I watched as this new kid had gone into a fight with the coolest kid in our grade at recess. And as this fight was breaking out, I th it felt like, I don't know if this is true, but it felt like every single fourth grader in the school made a circle around these two as they wrestled and threw punches on the ground. And I don't know what led to this fight, but all I remember is seeing this circle and walking up and seeing this new kid who just like me was trying to fit in in a fist fight with the coolest kid in the school and 
it, within seconds of the fight starting, every fourth grader was chanting the name of this cool kid, asking for him to win the fight, to beat up this new kid, this outsider. And I remember, I mean, this was so long ago, but I still remember the absolute horror and fear that filled me in that moment. And the lesson I learned was, this is what happens to people who don't fit in. They're rejected by everyone. They suffer violence. And then people gang up and exclude them and don't welcome them. My new friend, who's in a fight, he left the school for good a few days later. I never saw him again. But this encounter deeply, deeply formed in me the importance of fitting in. And it also formed in me a proclivity or a propensity to squelch this inner voice of God saying, you should live your life this way. Just push that down so I can fit in with what the people around me are doing. Have you ever done something like that? Elementary school, middle school, high school, maybe more recently. There's that voice, that call, God's voice, God's call from within, calling you to live a certain way, but recognizing that this isn't the way to go if you want to fit in. To a certain degree, this is going to happen whenever we make transitions, whether it's being moving from one city to the next or transitioning from one workplace to the next. Maybe when you first get married, you're experiencing that when you go on vacation with your in-laws. But what Jesus is trying to say in our passage is that when you and I start to follow him, so even without moving cities or starting a new job, when we make this decision to follow Christ, you know, we're going to start to experience something similar to what we experience when we move cities. And we no longer feel like we fit in. We're going to find ourselves in conflict with those around us. Even if we don't physically move, once we start following Jesus, we may start to experience not fitting in with people. He's essentially saying in our passage, don't be surprised. Everybody thinks he's coming to bring peace, peace, peace. But if you start to follow Jesus and then all of a sudden find that you're in conflict with those around you, don't be surprised. You're not doing it wrong. And that's because when we start following Jesus, it is akin in the spiritual realm to moving. We change spiritual geography. Spiritually speaking, the place that feels like home to us, the place of our work, the place that's most consistent with our values, the place where we feel like we belong most, changes. We leave the spiritual space of trying to become great in the kingdoms of this world, whether that's fourth grade at Concord Elementary School, or your workplace, or in front of your family, or in front of your college friends. We leave those spheres of dwelling spiritually, and our spirit starts to dwell in the kingdom of heaven. Our spirit moves. And what we experience is that we then no longer fit in in our home in the world. 
we become citizens and residents of heaven. So in the world, we often find that we don't really fit in. And, and this can cause some conflict. I think this is sort of what Paul is talking about in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. This is that spiritual new birth. means like a resurrection and now we dwell in heaven. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is what it means to move spiritual geographies. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The real you, the real residence, the real place that you're home is in God's presence. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What Paul is saying, I think what lies behind what Jesus is saying in our passage, is that when we sit in prayer with God, we are home. When we are stuck playing politics at work, or caught up in a conversation of gossip among friends or with other parents of the kids at our school, or when we're out in our front yard and, and we find ourselves chit-chatting with neighbors trying to impress them, we're in this space. As you start to follow Jesus, these spaces will increasingly start to feel foreign to you. You'll start to feel out of place, like a fish out of water like you're in a faraway city where you don't belong and you don't understand why people live the way that they live. The more we feel at home with God, the more we take up residence, spiritually speaking, in the kingdom of God, the more out of place we'll often feel in this world. And persevering in God's call, living out of this place of being at home with God, persevering and following that call to be that way, will create some tension and some conflict in our world. And Jesus calls out three places where we are most likely to experience this conflict as we start to follow Jesus and dwell at home in the kingdom. The first is with our families. And I think when Jesus says this, he's not negating any of the commandments where he talks about honoring your mother and father. What he's trying to name when he says in verse 35, I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, and then later, you know, parents against their children, if you're older. What he's naming is that our family of origin are ext is extremely formative and basically teaches us the rules of how to live in this world. One of the clearest examples of this is found in Emotionally Healthy Curriculum. And uh, Pete Scazzaro came up with this list of Ten Commandments that he was given by his parents. Never were these written down, but just they were kind of subtly communicated to him about the rules of being at home in this world, like how you get ahead. And it's things like you don't show your feelings, or money is the greatest way to have security in this world, and, and a whole bunch of different rules and Ten Commandments. And I wonder if you were to, to sit down and try and write out the Ten Commandments of your family of origin, if you might notice that some of the rules that you grew up with don't, aren't at home with the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, as we start to follow Him, as we discern God's will for our life, how to live out of the center of being home with God in heaven and in the kingdom of God, then we will find conflict 
with some of these ways of being in the world that we have been formed in from our families of origin. The second area that Jesus named is a place where we will feel the sword or feel conflict. He lays out in, uh, in verse 38. He says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He's talking about this paradox that when we follow Jesus, there is this call to go to the cross, this call to die. And what this essentially means is that our default wiring, the wiring of the world, is self-preservation, self-aggrandizement, self-centeredness, trying to always take care of ourselves and get what is ours or what we, we think we need. And then as we start to follow Jesus, as we start to dwell at home in the kingdom, all of a sudden there's this reorientation that, that happens in us where we start to dwell in God's love. And then we start to feel this call to live a life of love. And as we live a life of love, we realize that being a person who lives a life of love means that we are a people, a person who is for other people. And so there's necessarily going to be this sense of self-sacrifice. That's what he talks about, taking up the cross. You're letting go of getting what's always the best for you because you're starting to pay attention to the needs of those around you. And so, in order to find life, discover the joy and hope that comes from living a life of love, you have to be willing to let go of some of your self-centeredness, die to it, even. And the third place that Jesus names that we will experience the sword or conflict or tension as we start to follow him is that we will experience exclusion by the people who are in positions of power. This passage that is our passage in the lectionary for today that, I, that uh, Chris read for us, um, it, it follows a time where Jesus has sent out the disciples to do ministry, to preach this gospel of grace, to give healing to people, to welcome sinners. And what they find is that they often aren't welcomed as they bring this message of hope, love, and healing. And he says, don't be surprised at that. In verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his masters. And by this, he's just meaning if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. If you take this message of healing and grace for everyone, and people don't, if, they, if I'm bringing this message of healing and grace for everyone, people don't like it, when you take that message, they're not going to like you either. And then he talks in our passage in verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. So again, talking about this dynamic of who welcomes whom. And what he's trying to point out, the place that we will experience tension in the sword, is that there's something about the values of the kingdom that is at odds with the values of those who are elite and in power in our society. And I think it's because the people who are in the highest positions of power have achieved those positions by making themselves better than the other people. They've somehow achieved and risen to the top. And the very position that they hold presupposes this hierarchy of value that some are better than others. And it's built upon some meritocracy, some standard by which they have achieved and attained. Well, then Jesus comes with this message of grace, 
This message of forgiveness for people who make mistakes. This message of welcome for those people who have been excluded by this very system. It says that they have value too. He demolishes all these hierarchies, all these dividing lines of our society by which we rank people. Class, race, gender. And as that gets demolished, the people who are at the very top, they realize that the sort of the scaffolding that is holding them above everybody else is demolished by this message of grace, this message of forgiveness, this message of welcome for the bad people. And so there's tension. Anytime you're carrying with you this this place of being at home in a kingdom of love, which is built upon pure grace, what Jesus has done for us. Anytime you are living and dwelling in this place of grace and love, and then you carry that out into a world that is not based on grace, but is based on a hierarchy, meritocracy, and and creating dividing lines between the good people and the bad people. Well, the people who are at the top, who are the good people, are going to reject you, and you'll feel tension when you carry this message of grace and welcome for sinners. So this means our desire, which is very normal and human, to fit in with those people in power, to achieve according to that hierarchy of status, there'll be that tension in us as we start to follow Jesus. Are we at home in heaven? We don't want to be at home in this world. So Jesus is naming these three areas where he experienced the sword. Not an exhaustive list, but pretty good representation. Our family of origin, kind of the rules of how to succeed in the world. Our own internal drive to achieve and be successful. And then that desire to fit in with people who are in positions of power. As we start to follow Jesus, we will feel and experience conflict in these three areas. So then as you reflect on your life, as I reflect on mine, the question then is, what... How do we endure the sword and the conflict as we seek to follow God? Am I able to endure criticism from my mother or mother-in-law as I seek to follow God's will? Am I able to endure criticism from my sons or daughter or spouse as I seek to follow God's will? Are you able to die to your drive to be successful according to the standards of the world as God calls you to sacrificially love those in your family? Are you able to persevere in doing good in what God has called you to do, even if it means exclusion from the cool kids at church or at, at work? This is hard for all of us. We all need to grow in this. And so what I've been reflecting on is how. What, what are the things that we can do that help us endure and persevere in following God's will in the midst of these sorts of tensions or conflicts? I was processing this earlier this week when I watched a video interview of Jon Stewart. Many of you know that he started a show called The Daily Show. And more recently, he's been making the virtual rounds and all the talk shows because he's got this movie coming out starring Steve Carell. And in the interview that I was watching, 
person who was interviewing him was basically saying, these are exceptionally crazy times. Why did you leave The Daily Show? Uh, we need you now. Um, this, is, this is when we really need you to speak because things are so bad and crazy right now. And he gave a nuanced answer, but essentially what he said was, I got tired. I got worn out. He said, it felt like there's all this chaos going on in the world, and I felt this pressure to always be outraged. And he said what would happen is some crazy thing would happen, and he'd give some impassioned speech about how the world needs to change and needs to be different. And he said, nothing would change. And then you just go a little bit longer, and the same stuff would just keep, keep happening over and over again. And the interview's like, yeah, yeah, but now it's different. Now it's really, really crazy. And he's like, it's always crazy. He's like, it was crazy when I was doing my show. He said, Charleston happened. Michael Brown and Ferguson happened. 9-11 happened. The Iraq War happened. The financial crisis happened. And he named other things, too. And he said he felt like with, there's just all this turmoil and chaos in the world. And then every night he had to get up and he had to to kind of talk about how crazy the news media was, how crazy politicians were, how crazy the world was. And he just got tired. Because it just kept happening. Nothing seemed to be changing. And as I was listening to this, I I, I noticed that he's, he's talking about that fatigue of trying to follow God's will, to speak what is true, to name what is true, to follow your calling when it feels like you're swimming upstream. And I reflected, I feel this way too. Being a Christian in the suburbs of Minneapolis, it feels like you're swimming upstream sometimes. It feels like the way that God is calling me to live, the world isn't that interested in it. I want to live this life rooted in God's love. I want others to join me. I want to to practice a rhythm of life centered around Sabbath rest. I want to talk about the importance of taking retreats, refreshing your soul. I, I want to spend time, lots of time in prayer and invite others to join me in prayerful conversations of spiritual direction. I want to build a community, a new city community that crosses the typical dividing lines of society, race, class, and gender. This is what I feel called to do, but it feels like I'm swimming against a current that's moving in the opposite direction, like I'm I'm back in fourth grade at Concord Elementary, and everybody around me is, is furiously just trying to fit in, anxiously pursuing status, wealth, power, being associated with the cool kids. Where are they? How can I be with them? How can I look like I belong with them? I preach about the way of grace, the way God tears down these dividing walls, race, class, gender. But too often it just feels like everybody's obsessed with fitting in, in the world. And it's hard to persevere. And when I start to feel discouraged about this, like I'm coming up against a sword in one area of my life or another, 
The thing that I have noticed that really helps is to reestablish my residency in heaven. I recognize that I'm a foreigner and an alien in this land. That my true home is in the kingdom of heaven with God. So as I sit in stillness and silence, I am more aware that my spiritual geography, my place of dwelling is with Christ in heaven. My life, my real life, is hid with Christ in God. The more confident I become of my status as a citizen of heaven, the more aware I am that this is where I am most at home, the better able I am to deal with the swords, the, the discomfort, the tension of feeling out of place here in Edina or in the suburbs of Minneapolis in this world. What is it for you? What is God calling you to do? Maybe simple, simple things. Just change the rhythm of your day a little bit. That's being met with resistance from a boss or a coworker or a family member. What is God calling you to do that you're having a hard time following as it makes the people around you upset? And I wonder, how can you reestablish or become greater aware, have greater awareness of your residence in heaven and in the kingdom so that you're able to endure the sword wherever you're facing it? Join me in prayer. Gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts towards You. We pay attention to our home in the Spirit with God hidden in Christ. God, may You give us the courage and the strength to follow Your call no matter what resistance we may face. Christ's name we pray. Amen.